Hello, and welcome to Into the Void with Will Adolfi. Today I chatted with Jamie Clements. Jamie is an old friend and mental health advocate who hosts the podcast Man Down, the anti-man up movement. We covered lots of mental health topics today, including the experience of therapy, medications, alcohol and social media use. He's such a lovely guy um, and he has a real passion for mental health. It was just lovely to chat with him. So without further ado, Jamie Clements. I've been really excited to get you on, mate. I've got to say, uh, after listening to your podcast, Man Down, the Anti-Man Up Movement, which I thoroughly recommend to anyone out there, uh, it's so brilliant. So I just wanted to congratulate you on that first off. Thank you and, very much, mate. appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um, and I guess I thought a great place to start would be, we, me and you have been friends from a distance i guess you could say since a young age when we used to go to all the kind of parties in a similar social circle um, but it wasn't until i posted something on facebook about depression um, and then you reached out you got in contact with me and we connected a little bit since then and then i uh, came across your podcast and so i feel i feel like for lots of people out there it is this someone opens up about their mental health and it really does deepen a connection with someone um, that you otherwise had no idea they were experiencing those things. So I thought that would be a great place to start. Perhaps we can, I'll just quote that Facebook post because you said it resonated with you. I'm not sure, do you remember the post I'm talking about? I remember messaging you, but I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you much about the post, I don't think. Okay, great. Well, I've got a little quote from the post. Let's perhaps use that. And I'd love to just dive in from there. So the post read, it was a quote from Robert Sapolsky. And the quote was on depression. And he defines depression as it's a biochemical disorder with a genetic component with early exposure experiences that make it so someone can't appreciate sunsets. That for me is a very kind of taut sort of de definition of it. You've got the biochemical aspect, the genetic component and early exposure. So there's lots there. I think the, mm. the bottom line is it's, it's very hard to get your head around what causes depression and what it is, right? Because it's, it's so, um, it's very multifaceted and it's very unique for each individual person. But you recommended a book to me called Lost Connections. Mm. And we can dive into that as well because that book was incredible. And I listened to you on another podcast and you said that you would take that to uh, the desert island with you. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that that book was very instrumental in your journey as well. Yeah, it really was. Um, and yeah, I love I love that that quote. Um, it's really it's an interesting one. I think it, it covers a lot of the angles, like you said. But um, as you also rightly said, it, everyone's experience of depression is, is so unique and so individual to them um, that it is just so difficult to pin down like a single definition of like, what what is this? And, you know, everyone's got different, you know, it comes from different places for everyone as well. Um, 
But yeah, to, I guess to come back to Lost Connections, um, I, I absolutely love um, Johan Hari's work. But that, that one for me was recommended, as all good books are recommended to me by someone else um, who had found it equally as valuable. Um, and it just really opened my eyes to a different way of thinking about depression and thinking about mental health more broadly. Um, for, for, you know, as, as a lot of people, maybe fall into the trap of thinking you know it's just not it's just that but like it's lots of people get themselves into thinking like it's a chemical imbalance in the brain and that is that is that and you kind of think the only way to solve that for a lot of people is is through through medication and antidepressants which i i maybe we can touch on um that side of things as well but for me i, I do have a, a relatively mixed view on on um medication i do think they have value in in a lot of cases but less so in in other cases but for me lost connections just yeah really opened my eyes to the other factors that are slightly more sociological or um sort of yeah just he talks about these nine these nine connections that um, lots of us are missing from our lives and how they feed into uh, mental health and so for me it was just like like wow this is a completely new perspective on on how I'm feeling mm. and I think when you read something that kind of really um, looks you square in the eyes and is talk almost as if it's talking directly to you at times you just pull stuff out where it's like I feel like this was written with me in mind. Um, yes. That's when I think stuff starts really, really starts to land. Um, so that, yeah, that for me, I think, was almost step one when it came to improving things for myself. Like just to have a, a, a new view on on what was going on with with my head. Mm. Right. So you're trying to make sense of why you're feeling a certain way. I think that's the first step, right? You're trying to sort of maybe create create your own story of your past and and then you can see where you are and the the medication aspect that's maybe that's a great place to start i i don't know mm. what your experience but i have been on antidepressants before i'm not on them now um i was taking fluxetine and i did two kind of stints with it i took mm. it when I was at a kind of a breaking point, probably I'd say about sort of three years ago, four years ago, and it certainly did give me so much hope at that time, and it was great, but I'm a firm believer that if you're going to take something like that, you take it to get off it, so you mm. take it so you can use that space if it gives you it, if you're fortunate enough to find a medication that does, so that you can work on yourself during that period, and then wean your way off of them and that has been very useful for me but I understand now um, after reading Lost Connections that if you are someone who if you look at the sort of dimensions of a person's life their career their job their social life and um, their relationships if these dimensions aren't being optimized let's say you're living alone you've just gone through a divorce and you're dependent on alcohol taking antidepressants isn't really going to change the structure of your life at all and it's the structure of your life that ultimately is causing your depression you know you might be waking up late you don't have much of a job and so these things are 
the source, the lack of connection with these dimensions is what Johan Hari is saying to me when I read it. These are the source of our depression and we have to work on the source rather than treat the symptoms with the medication. Um, I wondered mm. what, whether you had any thoughts on that, Jamie. Yeah, I think, um, I, I guess to touch on the medication side of things first. So I um, was taking citalopram for the best part of a year. Um, and that for me was actually primarily um, to do with my anxiety. So I was, I was really, that was kind of my, I suppose my breaking point was back end of 2018, mm. uh, early 2019, where previously where I'd probably been able to get myself out of the dark places, I was really struggling to help myself. Um, and yeah, I was having pretty regular panic attacks, almost daily panic attacks and really severe anxiety, um, which actually then led into depression because this anxiety was so overwhelming that you know it, it took over my life um, so I started taking citalopram for about a year and for me you know I can only really talk from my own personal experience when it comes to this stuff and um, it was the way I think about it and the way my therapist described it to me it was it was a almost like a springboard um, to stop me being so reactive to my anxiety triggers so that those panic attacks and those symptoms of really severe anxiety would ease off so that I could then actually have some headspace to figure out how to work through them. So it was almost a way to kind of lift myself above the clouds enough so that I could then unpack all of this this stuff that was really the root cause. Um, so for me, you know, I, I stand by medication for me, um, but alongside other things. So medication without therapy alongside it, I think is pretty much useless. Um, and I'm very much a firm believer in like a holistic, a, a holistic approach to, to mental health that covers the more traditional, like we've discussed, but also um, sort of the more uh, the more lost connections type approach as well, which is more about um, your life structure as, as you talked about it. And um, yeah, I, I think as well, it's something, something I wanted to touch on with that is like, I think when we talk about mental health now, um, in my view at least, we uh, are sort of differentiating that from mental illness. Um, and I think it's quite an important distinction to make. So mental health, I think, is this thing that we all have. And I view it very much as a like a sliding scale, a spectrum. And, you know, you mentioned there if someone's uh, living alone, just gone through a divorce and there are factors that are stacking up, that's when you start to slide down that scale. Mm -hmm. And I think you also have a natural predisposition to a certain point on that scale. You know, some people are naturally more optimistic, some people naturally more pessimistic. So if you if you're starting, you know, slightly further down that scale, if we're talking about like a linear, you know, linear scale, then you're maybe more at risk when those factors start to add up. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't then move back up it through, you know, taking proactive action, looking at how your life's set up, mixed in with more traditional um, 
sort of more traditional approaches like medication and therapy. So I think, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. Um, I've also done a lot of um, research and reading around uh, alternative therapies and I, I follow the, the um, research into psychedelic therapies for mental health a lot as well. Um, and their findings are really fascinating and pretty significant when you look at the effectiveness of those um, substances versus traditional antidepressants um, but obviously all of that research is, is pretty early stage so um, I'm keeping an eye on it just to see how it progresses but yeah it's looking looking promising mm. yeah knowledge is empowering right when you kind of research and listen to scientists that certainly helped me looking at it from a kind of objective angle like making sense of it okay I'm I'm feeling a certain way and at the beginning of Lost Connections the beautiful message of listen to your pain you know you're, mm. you're a human being you're made with needs your body will tell you when these needs are not met and if you try to numb this feeling it won't go away it will kill you quicker in a sense um, mm. so that for me has been one of the most uh, sort of beautiful things I guess you could say it's painful but listening and trying to figure out why you're feeling a certain way and i think that's what therapy is kind of right you're you're yeah. inquiring into your past um how long have you been in therapy jamie out of curiosity oof um i think i saw my first therapist ever mm. when i was at university and i think i was 20 so the best part of six seven years ago oh, wow. um and that didn't last very long. Um, and then I think after university, I tried again and didn't really last very long. And then I'd say my only sort of successful stint of therapy has been um, the most recent one, which yes, started end of 2018. And it's sort of, I, I chat to um, my therapist now probably maybe once every month, once every couple of months, um, just as almost like a check-in. Um, so yeah, that that for me has kind of been the the most significant and and successful uh, period. But yeah, I completely agree with you in terms of um, one of the biggest things for me has just been about. I think the first step with any of these working through anything like this is um, awareness. Like you need to understand the problem and accept it before you can even begin to start working through it. Um, and yeah, therapy and, and lots of other bits and pieces are so powerful in that. But um, I always say the best therapists are the ones that speak the least and that just ask the right questions and then you start solving your problems for yourself. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, big, a big believer in, in traditional therapy alongside a lot of other things. Great, well let's, di let's dive into therapy because I have a lot of friends who come to me because I think they feel like I'm someone that will listen because I obviously will because that's one of the things, the positives that comes from experiencing these extreme low periods in life. It makes you more empathetic and mm -hmm. just like you, you've got, I know exactly why I wanted to get you on because you share what I share, which is a passion for, for mental health and for talking through these things and just getting out that message that we can really connect with one another if we start to talk about what we're experiencing. Um, and I have a lot of friends who are very, and I completely understand it because I felt I've been in therapy for three years now, so slightly uh, less mm. than you. 
but traditional therapy kind of psychoanalytical and with the same therapist and similarly i'm once every two weeks so i've dropped off from once a week um, yeah and i always try and because i get so passionate about it when a friend is like saying oh i you know i'm going through this problem i'm going through this problem since childhood etc and i have this innate kind of desire to be like see a therapist <laughs> mm. But you can't just say that. So I think in a way, this could be useful for me and you right now just to discuss a little bit about just how useful that process is and just to shed a bit of light on exactly what it is you're experiencing when you walk in the room to when you walk out and the process that evolves over time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think maybe you, you take a slightly more tactful approach than me when um, people come asking for your advice. I have... Um, I keep telling people because it's sort of blow my mind in the, you know, six, six years, but more recently, like year and a half that I've been seeing my current therapist, I've had probably two people ask me for a referral or like, a, a, do I know anyone um, that they can speak to? And then since the start of lockdown, I've had 15 people ask me wow. for a referral to a therapist which um my therapist is very happy about and I'm 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 waiting on my commission check but um, (laughs) (laughs) um, absolutely mate no (laughs) so just to clarify that was a joke um but um Yeah. yeah it's been and I think I think the first thing to touch on is that you're absolutely right like and that's what I think it's probably the thing I'm most proud of in the work that I've done around mental health is that it's meant that people feel comfortable. People that, you know, similar to sort of almost how we know each other, people that, you know, I've known for a long time, but from a distance, Mm. but they feel comfortable coming to me and asking for that kind of advice, which to me is like the biggest possible, um, almost honor in a way that people would trust me with that something so personal um so that you know fills me with a lot of a lot of pride around around the work that i've done um and it's probably yeah probably the bit the biggest thing that that i've taken away from this whole experience um but yeah it's just been i think an overwhelming number of people that have come um and realized i think you know this period's been strange for everybody but having to sit with your own thoughts for a lot longer than normal and lots of our kind of day-to-day distractions um, getting taken away, we've been confronted with, you know, some of our, our demons, some of our darkness. So, um, I'm not that surprised that people have been reaching out, but it has been more, more than I would have ever expected. Um, but yeah, I guess to come back to, sorry, that was a bit of a, bit of a tangent, but, um, to come back to the question just around like, you know, therapy 101, I guess, um, I guess you know it's again it's it's a, a unique experience for everyone. I think what I always say to people when they're thinking or talking to me about going to speak to a therapist is um don't get disheartened if this isn't the one. Um I I it's almost a bit like a relationship. Um I went I sort of probably saw five therapists over 2 years that I saw maybe two or three times and then just, it didn't work. It didn't click for me. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's great if the first person that you, you go and speak to, you, you feel comfortable with and you feel safe with. Um, 
but it's yeah i wouldn't be disheartened if uh, if that doesn't happen um but yeah i inter interested if i can throw a question back at you in terms of like how that process went for you like was it just the the first person that you you went to see or was there a bit of like a process of elimination at all mm. i was very lucky after having this chat with you and chatting to a few, a few others i got recommended one from a person in my life at the time <clears throat> excuse me and i went to the therapist session like it was a consultation and mm. we did two one and a half hour consultations this is when the therapist is seeing whether you are a patient that they will be able to help and mm -hmm. also in a way i mean he hasn't admitted this but seeing whether he wants to help because they're going to be spending a lot of time with you and their time is limited so i think there's a there is an element of is this person ready sort of i mm. think that's my hunch because some people if you're going to go there and maybe you're being sort of told by someone you have to do this or i'm not doing that and they turn up there and you could see they don't really want to be there then a therapist might be like well this person doesn't want to be helped because i i know now that you can't force someone to get help mm -hmm. they have to want it themselves and i was at breaking point similarly to you daily panic attacks i was losing my mind i didn't know how to leave my room at one point it was it was a very dark place very dark i wasn't connected to anything really and i knew i needed help and I was at breaking point because for the first time in my life, I didn't care about the stigma of therapy because there is mm -hmm. a stigma. And so I went to the therapist and he said, yep, yeah, let's set these sessions up. And it was a long drawn out process. I wanted initially, I wanted to just go to a therapy session for a few times and then be quote unquote cured. That was yeah. my, that was my goal. <laughs> um, three years later, and obviously <laughs> I now realize that that was a complete romanticized version of what uh, therapy is and life, I guess, because it's a long drawn out process. Don't get me wrong, sometimes I would go and I'd leave with a sense of relief, mm -hmm. lighter in my feet as I got on the tube. Other times I would leave and I'd feel slightly uh, dis more uncomfortable than when I first arrived. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, and I'd love to hear your kind of a little bit about your journey the, the initial first couple of, like for example i as a kid i had uh, 19 operations on my ears so i had a uh, mm. i was at great ormond street i had these surgeries and uh, i had a sort of a, a deep problem with both my ears and he asked me about that and i said yeah well i had that as a kid and i got through it and he was you know inquiring as they do probing was that not a big event in your life sort of thing? And I never saw it as that because I viewed myself as a kid when I experienced it. And he was asking, well, why do I not think that a kid is just as complex with a brain and a human as, as an older person? So essentially, it made me realize that, oh, I did go through quite a traumatic experience there, you know, grappling with death from the age of five to 13 in all these surgeries, um, which were very risky procedures so it made me realize that there were some unconscious things going on thoughts that were stemming from experiences in my past that i hadn't even begun to process and all this residue emotional residue of the experience was within me and it was manifesting itself through anxiety and depression 
and uh, a lack of connection in the present moment I was in. And so that kind of blew my mind when I began to realize, and that was the start of me beginning to piece together and create the story of my life. And in creating the story, you can then begin to move forward. And one of the things that I've determined is that you have to have something that you're aiming at. Um, you have to have a purpose. If you don't have a purpose, if you've got nothing to get up in the morning and work towards, then there undoubtedly will be moments of emptiness. And that for me was the biggest thing. It was developing uh, an aim, something to mm. aim at. Um, but yeah, I'd love to chuck that question back at you, Jamie, and just hear a little bit about what therapy was like for you once you found that therapist that you were like, yes, this is gonna be very helpful for me. Yeah, it's, um, so I, I mentioned a little bit earlier on, like. At this at this point, this breaking point, I was not really in a position to help myself. I wasn't prepared to help myself, but I knew I knew I needed help. Um, and you know, I'm I'm very very close to my mum, and she was pr pretty much the the one person that I did speak to about this stuff. And she kind of just I was chatting to her. I was in a really really bad spot, and she just said, "Will will you let me find someone?" I was like whatever do it don't care um and being a, a moody teenager at the age of 25 um and um yeah i mean i i don't know why i'm surprised that she found someone that um well i'm not surprised at all that she was able to find someone that i i clicked with um and you know i remember in the first session um my therapist dana just being like your, your mum's great and I was like yeah you two are going to be mates aren't you I'm not sure how I feel about this uh, so um yeah it was it was really um uh, you know I'll f forever be grateful to my to my mum for taking that that on and taking that step as, as you know good mothers do um and then for me kind of in those first sessions I think the first couple of sessions were really just more than anything me feeling out whether I could do this um, and once I got to a point where I felt comfortable um, yeah I so for me I guess to, to kind of look at the issue it's always been quite an acute quite a specific um, issue around um, my parents getting divorced at, at, when I was 15 um, so that was sort of very much uh, a trigger and that that you know you talked about trauma trauma and traumatic events that for me was was the one that that sparked a lot of this stuff wow. um and the way in which that manifested um was very specific and very acute to relationships and romantic relationships and um things like abandonment anxiety so just this crippling fear of someone that i cared about leaving um and so it was for me i had an awareness of that already um but actually being able to sit with someone and think about i guess so i'm training to be a, a breathwork coach at the moment and, and the guy that i'm training with has this great quote um and he says it's never about what it's about so I apply that to so 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 much of my life now. It's like I sit, I was sitting there, thinking that I was scared of losing these people because you know 
just because I didn't I didn't realize that there was a deeper reason. And I think, as as you said, like you hadn't quite fully understood or um, realized the implication of that early trauma. And um, trauma is a fascinating thing because um, it kind of sits under the surface in our bodies and um, then it it manifests in how we how we act day to day like if you look at PTSD as a very specific example um, those people are feeling trauma from a pr from a past experience in their present experience no matter how safe they are they're still feeling that same level of trauma um, and so just to be able to become aware of the fact that there was a I suppose a deeper reason for why I was feeling the way I was feeling was was the first realization and the first really powerful thing for me um, and yeah actually being able to understand it and say like okay this isn't just me losing my mind this is rooted in something and as a result this is something that I can work through that's so interesting mate I've got to say there's real parallels between my uh, narrative and yours my parents did get divorced as well when I was 17 and that was a big part of the destabilization and and the disconnection and again you're right it does for me it was seeking validation in romantic partners that became an issue um, to fill that gap and what you're doing then is you're making other people responsible for your own happiness which obviously yeah. isn't going to end well ever so the awareness is the first step just like in meditation when you're aware you're not concentrating that's the first step because you're aware you're not concentrating mm. and i think that's where i'm at now after three years of therapy and just having a space i mean ultimately therapy is just a space to talk about anything and everything and to also have someone who is very good at often at times probably pretending to listen because i'm sure they're mm -hmm. tired but you know they're very good at making it seem like and they are listening to you and it's such a a rare Thing in today's world I've said this before but just to have someone's complete attention for 50 minutes every week and you can talk about your deepest darkest thoughts which feel deep and dark when you're in your room on your own or you know you're on the train and you're feeling all these things but once you say them out loud often sometimes I don't know whether you've had this experience I end up laughing at myself <laughs> yeah I end up thinking oh my goodness me will you you know and you, you'll go you're turning the narrative in from a tragedy to a comedy and there's a fine line between those two things I firmly believe and I wonder if you've had any moments in, in the chair where you've just been I don't know any sort of pinpoint moments where you just gain that clarity because it does happen right but you can't chase those moments just like in meditation I guess as well yeah for sure um yeah very very similar I, I i can't think of any like super specific examples but so many times yeah. where i've been like explaining what i'm like my thought process and then just being like jesus christ that is ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> like, and you know it's it's not good to um and i sort of almost in a joking way because I'm, I'm a big believer in um positive self-talk and you shouldn't you know you shouldn't berate yourself and, and put yourself down for, for the way that you're 
feeling the way you're thinking like all, all of your experiences are valid but just sometimes if it's just like a combination of clarity and just almost a certain level of like embarrassment it's just like what like yeah what like what <laughs> how uh, when you say it out loud it it just it's not it sounds ridiculous and it's just those moments are, are really powerful because you're like ah oh, man like that that is dumb um so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. um it's really it's, it's nice but it's also you know well you can make it into a, a positive by just being like all right now you can see how you know how irrational how um yeah how nonsensical some of these these behavior patterns and thought patterns are well here you are i've got one for you um so <clears throat> i actually opened up about this before whenever i tell it to my mates some people either laugh and other people go i get that i get that mm-hmm. so <laughs> When I used to go and see theatre shows, and I'm talking past tense because as I've worked on my therapy and, and stuff, it's this is the thing as well. Once you talk about something and you reveal it, it, it's no longer hidden. And therefore, you kind of take back the control from the thought. And yeah. it doesn't really manifest itself ever, really. But if it does, I don't take it seriously as much. So I don't identify with the thought. But when I used to go see theatre shows, a intrusive thought I used to have was walking up on stage and punching the lead actor right in the face. <laughs> and I said that to my girlfriend at the time, like ages ago, and she was just laughing, like, what? <laughs> and I said, what, do you, not, do you not ever get thoughts like that? She was like, no. And it was just really revealing in a good way because it made me realize that she doesn't think the way I think and that I need to be more honest about the way I think in order for a person to understand me. And that means warts and all, you know, these thoughts. and. Yeah. And it was laughable. Like it is. I do laugh at that, but it came from a, a place of social anxiety because, in doing that, chaos would ensue. And I imagine and fantasize against my will at times about how what would happen in that scenario. I would go home, and I would because I work in theatre as well. I would lose my uh, my theatre job. Perhaps my reputation would be diminished. I would probably get arrested, I'm sure. Well, I'd hope so, uh, because that (laughs) is abuse. Um, And just to clarify, I haven't ever done this to any (laughs) listeners. I just want to make that clear. But the thought was so bizarre and silly. And I used to really fret about it. It used to make me feel anxious that I would Mm. think a certain way. Like, am I a violent person? It's like, so... That's just an example of when I was in the chair and I said it out loud, I actually laughed. And I said, oh, my God, Will, that is such a bizarre thought. But you don't have to take it seriously because these brains, these squidgy, weird things inside our skulls are I do cough up a lot of rubbish at times and we don't need to take it seriously. But I think the understanding of yourself in doing that, you're able to identify where these thoughts are coming from, what part of yourself. And I've started to try and show this part of me that is thinking of going up on stage and punching the lead actor in the face. A little bit of compassion, because I can do that now. I've spoken about it. Um, I understand where it comes from. It comes from my uh, social anxiety. And the more I kind of understand it, the less of a big part of my life it becomes um so yeah there is real power in talking right yeah big time and i think um you know i'm a, I'm a big advocate of, of journaling as well and I, it's the same concepts yeah. i think it's just getting these things 
you know you think because you you've had the thought that it's out there but it's very different to actually getting it down on paper or getting it out in the open spoken sort of speaking it um so yeah i think it it's we underestimate the power of actually just getting these things out of our out of our minds in like into another form and kind of moving it out from purely being a, a thought and a feeling into something else 100 percent. yeah I, i've got a question actually for you on this and um, well i think whenever someone comes up to me who hasn't experienced depression and they're really curious number one i feel like honored that they would ask me and also i think that's such a wonderful thing to be inquiring into something that you haven't experienced particularly depression to get a better understanding of it but they always ask me what does it feel like and mm. i just wondered whether you've had a think of like that and how you would describe it if you would be willing to have a go at just describing the actual subjective state of living with depression and what that is to you and what, what it was when you yeah. experienced it I think to me, um, so I think depression can, can take a lot of different forms. If, if I'm speaking purely from my own experience, um, which is probably all I'm qualified to do. <laughs> yeah, is, um, me too, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the word that I always use is, is numbness and just feeling completely numb. So um, if we think about feelings from a or sort of emotions and and happy and sad as again if we talk about like a spectrum like you should be feeling the full range of your emotions you should be feeling sadness when it's appropriate and you should be feeling joy and bliss when it's appropriate and for me what depression did was to narrow down the scale of what i was feeling to just like this bit in the middle where nothing made me that happy nothing actually upset me that much i just didn't feel enough mm. um and i think that's potentially um sometimes a bit of a misconception with depression given you know the nature of the word and sort of our understanding of it people imagine just being really like incredibly sad all the time mm. and i think for some people that is their experience of it but for me it was just complete lack of you know the, the lacking those extremities of, of feeling um and that just that i guess it ends up making you very sad because you are you're not i think that that quote you said right at the start of the show around um was it enjoying sunsets it's just like little things like that that should bring you joy um don't yeah. and things you used to enjoy you no longer enjoy you lose all passion for things um that for me was it's, it's kind of how it how it came through um which yeah just that overwhelming kind of numbness to things it makes you realize how important a walk or a cup of coffee is or mm. meeting and chatting with a friend you you realize when you've got depression because you don't feel like you can enjoy any of those things that they you take them for granted when you feel quote unquote normal and um, i've now depression has 
the experiences I've had and looking back on them and learning from them, they make me feel far more grateful for having the cup of coffee uh, or going on the walk. And yeah, I think what you've said, that numbness, I can really relate to that. I try and use a visual, I try and describe it as, it's like you're in the middle of the ocean and you're treading water and you don't know which way is the shore and you're just treading, treading, treading. And it's that feeling of you're trapped in time and there's no way forward, there's no way back. In fact, you could say you are potentially some forms of depression I've experienced of when I'm living in the past as opposed to the present moment, but you are lost. You're like no action feels like it has a causal effect. It doesn't feel like there's any consequence to what you're doing. You've lost your connection with everything and therefore there is no motivation to do. Um, And once you lose that motivation, getting up and going to the, I remember one time, just to give you an, an example of waking up in the morning and I have work to go to. I was working as a TA at school and I opened up the fridge and I looked at my breakfast and the sheer amount of willpower that I needed to put my breakfast in the microwave Mm. and cook it and eat it. Oh my goodness. It was just so that it just took everything in me to do that. I had no motivation to move forward. And that's why when I listen to Joe Rogan a lot, um, which I do, and I love that show, and I, it's just incredible. But one of the things that I, I don't necessarily, can re- I can't really relate to is when he, I mean, he's someone who hasn't really suffered with depression. He says that, but he always talks about exercise, just exercise. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, there have been low moments in my life where exercising has brought me out of my current mode and really got me into a new conscious zone it's been brilliant and it is it's such a great source of doing that but there have been moments where my depression has been so severe to the point where I don't think Rogan really understands what what it is to be in that place where some people can get to where they just don't have the motivation to do anything other than lie in bed and so I think getting up and going on a run is too much in that moment. I think it's getting out of bed and making yourself a cup of coffee. Start with that Mm -hmm. maybe. Or maybe it's making your bed. Maybe it's moving over to the couch and putting on a TV series. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm just trying to think baby steps because it really can weigh on you so much to the point where, where you become desperate and connection is the answer. When Johan Hari says, the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. That just blew my mind. And I began to realize that there are moments in my life, because I'm not sure if you've gone through this, but I feel like with the validation thing, it feels like an addiction. You know, I want validation. Um, Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever it is, I want validation. But in those moments where I feel needy um, and I can pick up the phone, I can have a conversation, kind of like what we're doing here. and that is my source of connection now and it serves a purpose and that has been extremely beneficial one of the things i would like to touch on with you actually we spoke about this is alcohol Mm. just before the podcast began you mentioned something really interesting there how is your relationship with alcohol at the moment and what are your kind of views on it in terms of what we're talking about 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I just to to touch on some of those points you just made. Oh yeah, please. I can yeah, com- completely completely with you on on all of that stuff. I think um some of the traditional advice around like how to help yourself and like self-care that includes things like exercise. Um I don't think it's damaging, but I think it's um maybe a little uh tone deaf to more severe forms of, of mental health issues oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and I think as you as you rightly said those those small victories those baby steps um are, are so valuable you know if I talk about that spectrum again like when you're right down the bottom of that spectrum in, in your deepest darkest places you need every victory you can get and you're not going to be able to make those big strides until you start building that momentum through like a series of small victories so I think that's such such a good point mate mm. um but in terms of in terms of our good friend alcohol um (laughs) so i in terms of my own relationship with alcohol i have toyed with the idea a number of times of going teetotal um and if i'm being very honest with with myself and with with everybody listening um the societal element just like the you know casual beer at the end of the day with with people from work or with your mates that's where I fall down every single time um and I'd say I'm pretty um very much in control of my relationship with alcohol I've never had I've never had a a problem um saying no uh but I've I definitely have struggled to cut it out completely I think at the start of lockdown I went about three two or two months I think without having anything um and that was you know that was great uh but i you know i still i like having a couple of beers with my mates watching the football i I don't yeah have too much of a a negative view on it as long as it's managed in in the right way and as long as you're in control of of your relationship with it for sure Mm. yeah yeah that's very similar i think it's just completely Dependent. I mean, it is a net negative when you drink, mm. but some people are perfectly happy happy with that. And I always, the one time that I, it wouldn't affect me, because once I started to become aware, and I think the meditation as well, you're focusing on your inner world more, your subjective experience, rather than the ideas of things, the idea of drinking. I think once I began to be more in tune with my body, I couldn't unsee the damage that it was doing to me. Um, yeah. And again, it's different for everyone, but this is just my personal experience. And once I saw, like, for example, when I used to go on long uh, with my running club, I'd do long runs. I would come back and I'd have a beer and I used to love that. But kind Mm. of because I could deal with the net negative because I'd just gone on a very long run. The endorphins were going and having a beer, a couple of beers, the next day I'd wake up and I would feel neutral. I'd be back at par. So, but other than that, For me, even just having a couple of drinks, and this might be the case for some of the listeners, I would wake up the next morning, and if I really was honest with myself, I felt a little bit groggy, you know, a little Mm. bit groggy, a little bit, maybe a little bit low, and that's fine, you can push through that. But I began to be similar to you, and lots of other people I'm talking to now, um, which is really interesting, lots of our generation are considering uh, stopping one day, and so I'm teetotal, by the way. I probably should have mentioned that as well. I've been teetotal for about seven months now. Um, maybe teetotal was a little bit... I haven't had any alcohol, but when people ask me, would you ever drink again? 
I'd like to get to the point where I can control it, like you said, and be one of those people that if I'm at a wedding for a best friend, I can have a few drinks. But at the moment, I don't feel like I can control it. So I'm going teetotal for the foreseeable. And what I have realized is in the seven months of, <clears throat> excuse me, of not drinking, I haven't actually lost anything. And that is the the trick, I guess, the illusion that drink and the kind of narrative around it. Don't get me wrong, I got a lot of pleasure and had some wonderful moments from drinking, but I also had some very low moments. You know, it didn't have a good effect on my mental health. It made me extremely anxious and depressed the next day. And I've got to the point where I was thinking about changing. And it wasn't until I read a book called How to Stop Drinking by Alem Carr, who's one of the leading specialist in addiction um, I read literally a picture book 100 pages and it I read it at a time where I was just needing something to push me over the edge and yeah it, it's I haven't drunk since and people ask me how is that the case and it's because before I couldn't even do dry January yeah I wasn't even someone who I'd last a few days but that's because I still viewed drink as something that was I was gaining from it in that yeah. time in my life. So it was harder to stop. I still view drink as a desire, but now I don't view drink as a desire. So once that flip switches in your brain, it's actually incredibly easy to stop drinking as someone who um, was a social drinker. So I don't wanna make it seem like I was an alcoholic, dependent on alcohol, but I was felt pressure to drink every time I was out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it is. It, it, I think it's freeing to know that if you ever did get to the, the point where you wanted to stop, you 100% can. And I just want to say that to anyone out there um, because I understand that it might feel like you're a little bit like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I think as well, if, if I can jump in there, mate, yeah. it's, um, just as you were chatting there, I think, well, first of all, good on you for, for the seven months. I think it's awesome. And um, I've had that book actually suggested to me by by a friend of mine who's who's I think about a year a year sober. Oh wow! Um, and I was just thinking as you were chatting there around like I suppose mental health and alcohol. And I think for me, I'd be intrigued to say, to know if it's the same with you. Like for me, a lot of my anxiety and depression. Um, just made me feel probably incorrectly um that i there was yeah definitely a, a belief in there i don't know why i'm struggling to say it that i i just wasn't much fun mm. and not like and like i wasn't you know you know the old adage of being fun at parties and like i i definitely had this view of myself as not being someone that was interesting to talk to because i didn't feel like i had an identity or anything I was passionate about or things I wanted to talk about. And so drink for me was a way to ease that anxiety and get a bit of that old Dutch courage in and kind of escape from that a little bit, which I think that's definitely an unhealthy relationship with, with alcohol if you're feeling like you need it to function socially. Mm. Um, and so that has been something that has definitely changed my relationship with alcohol in, in that I now feel like I could go to an event and not drink and probably be more coherent and more clear and more interesting as a result of it because I'm actually 
interested in things I'm passionate about things I um, like talking to people again like coming out of you know depression anxiety actually just wanting to speak to people wanting to meet new people um, has really changed my view of, of alcohol and definitely changed what I what I see the function of it as and and as you said like what it gives what I'm gaining from it um so yeah that was just just something that came to mind I don't know if, if you feel the same around like what why you drank oh yeah I mean that's it's so scary when I first stopped I was like oh my goodness me I'm gonna be boring you know and this is coming from someone who used to run into walls at the age of 16 at parties for a laugh you know um, I'm not sure if you even remember that but I do yeah I do. <laughs> <laughs> well let's just mention it Jamie it's the elephant in the room yeah you know I was the cl- I was the clown I was the guy that yeah oh let's get Dolph over here and we can shove this birthday cake in his face you know he'll do that and you're right I would have done it because I was overcompensating I wanted to be a laugh and I just wanted people you know like any other human I guess I just wanted people to like me and that's how I got my laughs and my validation I would drink 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 and just get as you know quote unquote hooned as I could um haven't said that we haven't said that word in years (laughs) but that's what we used to say and yeah, so I completely agree. There is this like pressure, isn't there, to to be fun. But what I realised is it wasn't the drink that was fun. It was all those moments where I was with my friends and we were laughing and we were joking with one another. Now, do we need drink to get to that point? If the answer is yes, then I'm just going to be very bluntly honest. Are these people your friends? Are they my mm. friends? Because I firmly believe that we don't. But I have no judgments. I love going out with my friends when they're all drinking. I went away to Cornwall a few weeks ago and everyone was on the source, of course. And I had a great time and it didn't affect my ability to have fun. Um, And everyone's going through their own thing. I'd like to think that we could live in a world where we don't rely on alcohol to have fun. Because I don't think it is the alcohol that we're having fun with. But I understand that there's this pressure of if I don't drink, people are going to think that perhaps maybe I'm not fun. But it all comes back to if you stop drinking, it's a great time to have that self-respect and back yourself and be like, no, actually, I am quite an interesting person. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I have got stuff to say. I reckon I can have fun. And the drinking game thing was, was interesting. I went away and, you know, there was lots of drinking games. And I realized for anyone out there that is thinking about not drinking, you can still get involved in the games. You just need to find someone that's going to drink for you. And... I had some one of my friends who was like, I've got your back, bro. I'm going to drink whenever you, you know, fail or whatever. So you can still have fun, you know, you play the games and they end up getting doubly as drunk and that's fine. They want to, you know, um, but yeah, I, and then I always wake up in the morning. Don't get me wrong. There are moments where I'm like, ooh, you know, everyone's lining up some shots. Part of me is like, yeah, I would, I wouldn't mind doing a shot. But then every time I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, thank God. You know, thank God I didn't. Thank God I didn't do that shot. But yeah, no, drink, the relationship with drink um, is very interesting. And ultimately, if you've got mental health problems and you do feel like drink is having a negative impact and you feel a bit trapped and pressured like I was, then that book is a great place to start, I think. And my mate, who's a psychotherapist, I'm getting on the podcast, actually, he asked me a question went for a Nando's with him. It was at the point of when I was thinking, I want to stop, but I wasn't putting any action into it. He said, write down one word that is you at your best. And 
I put, okay, energy, exclamation mm. mark. And he said, flip the piece of paper around. And he said, write down all the things that get in the way of that. Yeah. And one of them was alcohol. And I just knew it. And I was like, okay, right, let's stop. Let's try it, you know? And, uh, and here we are. But yeah, anyway, I'd like to finish up on um, just talking a little bit about your podcast and just here, how's it, how's it been going for you? What have you learned? What made you start it? Just feel free to talk at me. I'm so intrigued, mate. Yeah, man, it's, um, it's been a bit nuts, really. It's been incredible. Um, I, so we've talked a little bit about like my, my own mental health journey. I really want to find a better word than journey, but it seems to be the only one we have. Um, journey. My, it's my journey. Yeah. Um, and um, like, so I start of 2019, which in looking back seems like so long ago, but actually is about a year and a half ago, started making really good progress. And um, then I very sadly lost a friend to suicide in May of last year. And that for me was, um, obviously a hugely traumatic tragic experience for for me and my friends um but it was the first time that i just felt no fear about opening up about my own stuff and um that for me was for a couple of reasons it was sort of i don't i don't want to ever be in this situation again and if me sharing my problems um, means that someone else, you know, as we touched on at the start, means that someone else feels comfortable sharing their stuff um, so that we don't end up in this position again, then that's a win and it would be selfish of me not to share my stuff. Mm. And secondly, I think there was a bit of an element of saying, right, I really need to take action on this. Otherwise, in a very extreme case, this could be me. Um, and so started talking about my stuff um and my my depression my anxiety um obviously as i'm sure you know as well it's not as scary as you think it is and the support that i got and and the conversations that i had with people were you know incredible um and then over the course of last year uh it just kind of went from there and i i met more people through in, in kind of the mental health community, lots of really interesting guys, um, and just continue to kind of go from strength to strength in, in my own work as well. And um, then January of this year, decided that I wanted to, you know, do something about it, do something with it, mm. um, and came across or came onto this idea of podcast. Um, seemed like kind of a, a good accessible way into just getting the conversation going and for me it was, I wanted to have a particular focus on men's mental health so um, for people who are listening who aren't familiar with with the podcast it's called Man Down um, the anti-man up movement uh, so focused on men's mental health and masculinity and all done through a series of interviews with incredible men uh, and talking to them about um, their own mental health story and the idea really being to hold a mirror up to anyone listening in the hope that they might see a bit of themselves or hear something that resonates with them from these people that they might look up to you know I've had um, episode dropping today um, with Marvin Sordell who's ex 
uh, Premier League footballer, um, influencers, you know, endurance athletes, people who maybe from from the look of their Instagram, wrong people would wrongly assume that they've never struggled in their life. Oh, yeah. um, and so to hear from those people uh, that they have struggled, I think gives a lot of power to you know anyone listening to say like okay maybe it's not so weird that i'm having a tough time and and they'll feel comfortable talking to whoever not you know not talking you know i've had some messages from people asking to have a chat which is brilliant but it's not about talking to me it's about talking to to whoever you feel comfortable talking to whether that's a therapist whether that's your mum whether that's your your partner whoever it might be but just actually really trying to break down that stigma around sharing and, and talking um mm. so that's kind of the the long the long version um but yeah i think it's important to give that context around sort of where it all came from um and yeah it's been it's been pretty special experience i'm very um proud to have have got it to where it is um 16 episodes down and, yeah and m many more to come so yeah no it's been awesome man oh mate that's such an important message and i'm really sorry to hear about your friend i mean that does break my heart but you've managed to take something from that it seems and you put all that energy into making bringing a source of positivity from it and that's incredible that you've like sort of made the podcast and you've had people reaching out to you it just shows right how well how common it is uh, part of being a human and these conversations are the starting point and they do make you feel less alone i wonder if you mentioned instagram maybe that's just before we wrap it up i'd mm. love to get your view on that because when you said it i was kind of like oh my goodness instagram instagram yeah. instagram instagram uh yeah i've deleted it recently just because i just see it as like, i don't get anything good from it personally yeah. it's just become a source of anxiety in my life and it's that instagram effect isn't it we all know it when you go on there maybe you're having a low moment and you see the stories of everyone in your life and they're all just smashing it tearing up life getting the drinks in successful jobs whatever it may be and it just creates that effect that they are someone who doesn't feel the way you're feeling they are someone who's got it all sorted out and you are not, right? I'm not sure if you have a similar experience. Yeah, I think um, maybe in a similar way to the way we talked about alcohol, um, it's about your relationship with it and, and why you're using it and how you use it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I have lots of friends who have kind of cleansed their Instagram and unfollowed unhealthy, you know, unhealthy people for them, whether that's, models or influencers or whoever it might be um but it is you know at its core i think social media is probably a net negative um you know, the old the old saying that comparison is the thief of joy mm. and i think that type of platform really feeds that that unfortunately very individualistic and comparative uh society that we live in um but you know from from my own personal experience of it I uh, follow my friends and I am excited to see them doing doing what they do and I try and I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on the fact that that doesn't that doesn't have any gauge any impact on on my own inherent value 
like my my self worth isn't um, contingent on someone else's success or or their or their view of me. Um, and from a podcast perspective, it's uh, that's pretty much all I use it for is is for promoting the podcast and and spreading the word. And I think my my feed of people I follow is now you know sixty percent inspiring people in in the mental health space and that for me is is just uplifting more than anything so i think we do need to look at how i think everyone as an individual can and should look at how they're using it and and also why they're using it um and as you rightly said um you know is it is it adding to your life are you are you gaining anything and i really like that exercise you described about writing down you know the one word that describes you at your best and then thinking about what takes away from that mm. um and i'm sure instagram probably takes away from that for a lot of people so um yeah i think that's a powerful powerful message that's brilliant what you just said um i'm definitely being cynical at the moment in this point in my life i think i am putting too much responsibility on my happiness uh, on other people so I've taken that step to kind of just cut it out for the time being. But you're right, it is how we use it. Um, it's there, it exists. And I think what you said is just brilliant because you can harness it to your own advantage, whether it's through your podcast, whether it's through inspiration, catching up with your friends. So that's a brilliant thing to aim for, I guess, being able to harness the power of social media in a way that adds to your life rather than then takes away from it um, yeah. and I think that's all on you right it's yeah. you can't yeah social media is not going to change exactly and I think as well it's um, not kidding yourself into thinking that these platforms have been made um, to keep you connected with your friends like <laughs> right. Facebook was not built so I was listening to this guy called Douglas Rushkoff on a podcast the other day super interesting um, super interesting guy and he said please don't kid yourself into thinking that Facebook was created so that little Johnny can have more friends. <laughs> you are, yeah. as a customer of Facebook, you are their, you are their um, commodity. They are there to monetize you and they are there to use your data. They are not, they do not care about connecting you with your friends. Mm. Um, that is not their primary function. So if you can also be aware of that and be aware of the fact that this platform is not purely designed to do that and that they are using algorithms and using very intelligent people to sell you things and promote things um just to always keep that in mind um when you're when you're using these these things that's my my cynical take anyway <laughs> oh man brilliant well jamie i think we should wrap up there mate i know we could talk for far longer but yeah. <laughs> mate it's been such a, a pleasure to to get you on and just to have this chat and i'd love to stay in touch and hopefully get you on again in the future but yeah just a final reminder to anyone listening that is interested please do go and head to uh, man down the anti-man up movement that's jamie's podcast um it, just a wonderful resource for anything else and further conversation on on mental health but yeah thank you so much mate for coming on awesome thanks so much will catch you later well there you have it that concludes another episode of into the void i really hope you enjoyed it i'm really loving the emails like i said so thank you so much really going to explore the solo episodes and i've got lots more content for you so please do subscribe have a lovely day and as always i hope to see you next time bye everyone